This week, Jesus fuck, we're watching The Road to Wellville. This is Body Counts and Beer. Hello and welcome to another edition of Body Counts and Beer. I'm Mark Rosendahl. I'm Patrick Bromley. I am so profoundly tired of Matthew Broderick getting erections. I am Jonathan Rooney Taylor. <laughs> and this week, uh, hot off the heels of our Godzilla v Mechagodzilla episode, where we spent conservatively 20 minutes discussing the <laughs> film Road to Wellville, we were asked by one of our listeners, Sean Manley, to discuss Road to Wellville. And so... After paying $4 to Amazon... Oh, man, you paid money for to it. ...to rent the road to Wellville. Ooh. Hey, that pushed the movie into the black, though. That That's yeah. right. <laughs> it's officially turned to profit. <laughs> this week, we're discussing 1994's movie? Oh, buddy. The, the Net. <laughs> no. I, w- I wish. Yeah. Then we could talk about pizza.com. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? In 20 years... Who are we to know that eventually it would be dot pizza? Actual web domain. You can buy a dot pizza. You can get dot fart. Ooh, (laughs) nice. Say what you will about the year 2020. There's some neat stuff going on if you look. That's right. So this week we're discussing The Road to Wellville, which begins like all movies do. <laughs> a legion of old white women laugh singing. <laughs> now this is actually very vital to the movie uh, in a very... I can't remember who said it. I, probably Robert McKee. The first five minutes of your movie must declare the intentions of your movie. And yeah, forcing a bunch of people to fake laugh is exactly what this movie needs you to do. Yeah, it's the tutorial scenes. Yeah. <laughs> The first five consecutive minutes of this movie are just people going, ha, 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 Oh, man. <laughs> and running around, other people dressed in Victorian era times, running around doing calisthenics. Ooh, so many laps around oh, one tree. Yeah. yeah. A lot of, and yeah. raising bowling pins up and down while they run. Well, you or see. whatever those were. They, it was, this is before the days of barbells and whatnot. Yeah. They just had lumps of wood. The great Sandow had not shown up yeah. <laughs> in his mighty singlet to lift old, the old barbells with the big circle weights on yeah. them. But much in the way that we had invented screws centuries before the screwdriver, we had invented the bells, but we didn't have the bar at this point. You're right. right. That technology was just out of grasp. It wasn't until the... Operation uh, Paperclip. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah we yeah. got all those... Nazi scientists. We expunged their records in exchange for the bar. <laughs> That's correct. Just weld a bar between them. Yep. So, uh, this... That's why there were so many bar clubs in the 50s. That's right. True facts. So the movie Road to Wellville takes place in a fictionalized version of John Harvey Kellogg's Battle Creek Sanitarium. A real place uh, back in the day in Mission, in up in Michigan... And uh, uh, the movie kind of begins with, uh, yeah, a bunch of people doing health things. And then we meet uh, Matthew Broderick. And, oh, no, we first we meet John Kellogg himself. And he, he's on a weird diesel punk. Uh, yeah. So this movie, uh, he's doing, like, pull-downs, like, pulling weights. Yeah, like a workout machine. And his yeah. feet are both in separate feet baths. 
and the whole thing is spinning. Yeah, it's all turning yeah. slowly. And like he a gives his player. like weird thesis statement for the movie, which is pooping good, jacking off bad, meat eating bad. And Everything's if, bad except for pooping. And yeah, if, Big if you voluminous turns. <laughs> if you don't get this message right off the top with a character literally staring into the camera and explaining it in great detail, don't worry, it will be repeated ad nauseum. Oh yeah. Yeah, the whole movie. It'll be slightly conflicted by an argument over whether or not sex is good or bad. Yeah, it seems to be good. I don't know. I think it's supposed to be good. The 90s was never helpful about what sex was supposed to be. That's true. The only thing that, like, morally speaking, I know for sure about this movie is that, boy, hitting a German doctor with a stick, that'll cure what ails you. Yeah, buddy. Legitimately the funniest part of the movie. (laughs) Listen, that's been a proud American tradition, a proud uh, English tradition, a proud Russian tradition. Everybody gets a good time out of hitting a German doctor with a stick. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, Anthony Hopkins plays John Kellogg uh, wearing the most ridiculous false teeth. uh, And a most excellent fake Colonel Sanders mustache goatee thing. And I can't tell if this is supposed to be a joke or not, which is a problem that I'll have continuously throughout the movie. (laughs) Is it supposed to be funny or just very off-putting? Yeah. Yeah, I, I it's it's really it's such a bizarre like Anthony Hopkins gives such a committed performance to this bizarre dumb yeah. movie. Mm-hmm. His voice alone, that bizarre false teeth American accent is it, it, it's it's at, at moments super off-putting, but at other moments commendable even. Well, what's bizarre is that he is clearly like he is like a cartoon character. Like he is so over the top, but Nothing else in the movie is trying to match that energy. Right. So it's like if you took Heath Ledger's Joker from Dark Knight and put him in Kramer versus Kramer. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like everybody else is trying really hard to play this like very straight drama that occasionally erupts into Scooby-Doo chase sequences with like fart noise fucking accordion music. Yeah. Yeah, and that that's that's the other thing is the score in this movie. Most of the music is like diegetic music. There's always people playing horns and stringed instruments just in the sanitarium scoring what's happening. And they become like this weird Greek chorus of the movie uh, just playing like dumb oompa-pa music that was clearly all taken from the royalty-free music GeoCities website yeah, someone right. found. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, there was a little a little fucking gif of a pixelated Oompa band. That's all my GeoCities material. I used it all up. Oh, sure. Yeah. Do you have any Angel Fire material? Oh, buddies. Strap all the way <laughs> in. The year was 1997, folks. <laughs> a new movie called The Matrix was still in the future. <laughs> <laughs> But that future is now. <laughs> so, uh, after Anthony Hopkins gives his talk about how my turds are the best turds that have ever turded. Solid Nixon. <laughs> I would love to see It's the same turds. voice. <laughs> yeah. It's the same voice that he does in Nixon. Richard yeah. Nixon is funished. <laughs> <laughs> uh, after he's done, we meet Matthew Broderick. 
uh, and his uh, wife in the movie played by Bridget Fonda. They're the uh, the light bodies, Will and Eleanor light body, and they're on their way to the Battle Creek Sanitarium. Because uh, Will can't poop. Yeah, Will can't poop and has a has a, a stomach that he can't eat anything but dry toast, uh, just like Jake Blues. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, and or sorry, Elwood Blues. Jake Blues orders four whole fried chickens and a coke. <laughs> it is Elwood who only eats dry <laughs> white toast. Yeah. How dare I? Uh, and his wife is gone for this is now her third time going to the sanitarium. Um, they're on a train. They end up having uh, sharing dinner. With John Cusack, uh, who plays Charles Ossining, a prospective breakfast food impresario. Yeah. Uh, this scene consists of them going, we're going to the sanitarium. Also, oysters live in piss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and again... Oysters it, are evil. Puke joke. All of this Good has... Scene. All of this has the cadence of a comedy. <laughs> you know? And the score of a comedy. Yeah. Everything about the movie wants you to think it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I, I can't tell if it's like... Uh, like a Coen Brothers level meta joke of just like you fucking idiots watched this whole movie <laughs> <laughs> or if it like genuinely believes that it is succeeding in its stated purpose of being a very affecting uh, drama as well as a very like whimsical bizarre comedy I it just I I don't know what this movie is or what it's trying to pull. I don't know what its game is, man. But I can't not, for the life of me, remember any other movies right now. <laughs> yeah, they're gone. It is fully overwritten, the concept of film in my brain. Let us not forget that the man who directed, wrote and directed this movie, Alan Parker, directed Mississippi Burning. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, uh, <laughs> Matthew Broderick throws up on somebody, it's a big scandal, and it's off to the sanitarium. We get to the sanitarium, and oh boy, it's just a bunch of people walking around. It sure is. Yep. <laughs> well, Old timey clothes. 90%... Copy-paste for rest of movie. <laughs> 90% so of this movie is people in old-timey outfits just going... Just milling about, man. I think this is what happened. I think that the director was probably going through some stuff at this time. Oh, Alan Parker, the director of fame? Correct. Yeah. Uh, probably, I don't want to, you know, get into any kind of scandalous trouble, but I'm going to assume that he was just binge drinking a whole lot. <laughs> and there were several days that he woke up ready to shoot realized how hungover he was, and said, uh, just let B-Unit shoot some bullshit. <laughs> and then didn't keep track of how much film B-Unit had to shoot, and then got in the editing room and was like, well, this is the movie, I guess. <laughs> There's 30 minutes of actual movie and 130 minutes of, like, just walking around. Yeah, well, I, I just, I can't express just how infuriating this movie is. Well, I mean, if, if, if the 80s movies were all driven entirely by cocaine, the early 90s and mid-90s were what happens when you don't have that. <laughs> this yeah, movie was they, driven... they were trying to dry out a little yeah, bit. Yeah, right? Like, nobody had the artistic spark of just being full of cocaine. Well, and then It's like later Aerosmith albums. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah, this is the just-press-play of movie making. Yeah. Yeah. See, I like to think that this movie is has a very uh, laudanum... Uh, kind of feel to it. It's just kind of logy and slow, a little hallucinogenic. Anyway, 
Surprise boobs galore. <laughs> yeah, I got a couple of surprise boobs. That's so right. You're going to get two stars on this film, no yeah. matter what. Matthew Broderick uh, is immediately uh, met up by uh, Anthony Hopkins, who just grabs his tongue and is like, well, you're sick. We have to put you in a wheelchair. <laughs> you're going to die right. tomorrow. And then he gets dragged off and promptly envisions every single woman he meets without clothes on. And this is where he coins that famous Matthew Broderick catchphrase, I have an erection! <laughs> he spends so much of the movie with an erection. Oh, man. And now it's not like a... It's not gross. You don't, like, see him pop in a tent or anything. There's, It's not like boogie nights where there's prosthesis everywhere. It's just him deadpan saying to people around him in the room, I have an erection! <laughs> oh, no! It's deeply uncomfortable. It happens a lot. And I think a lot of that also has to do with uh, your our perception of Matthew Broderick sure. is like a weird, like sexless sort of like eternal teenager type guy. Yeah, he yeah. is forever Ferris Bueller. Where yeah, the erection was his friend's car. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, this is a weirdly pervy movie too. Ooh, yeah, real pervy. And I think because all three of us had seen this movie previously on Comedy Central because which used to run it nine times a day oh yeah, yeah. and what well, was I gonna do not watch TV fuck you right and at a certain point I could say all the words to PCU sure yeah right <laughs> well I remember what a big fucking like they Pendulette screamed at me about this movie in so many Comedy Central ad breaks <laughs> yeah uh, it was like a big deal because it was their first piece of just like we got a big Hollywood movie that came out like last year Look and at we all are the gonna play uh, So yeah, like I've seen this movie a whole bunch, edited for time and nudity yep. and content. So like seeing like raw uncut Wellsville, <laughs> no, thank you. Yikes. Yeah, the uh, uh, if this movie was like a uh, a brisk eighty minutes. It would be a goddamn masterpiece. <laughs> and like, I guess this movie was brisk. It could work out. Sure. Yeah. And again, I'm just on the edge of my seat the whole time. Stay tuned till after the movie with Craig Kilborn's The Daily Show. <laughs> Ooh, he's gonna put somebody on the hot seat. <laughs> Followed by a new episode of Dr. Katz, Professional Therapist. And then See? Richard Lewis staring at the camera. Hi, unfortunately, I'm Richard Lewis, and you're watching Comedy Central. <laughs> uh, I miss Richard Lewis. I miss Richard Lewis too, buddy. Just watch Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh, nice. Hey, He's... that just got signed on for a new season. Why the fuck didn't we watch that? Because <laughs> I watched the most Sean recent season. Malley didn't you know? ask us to watch something that, good. That's true. That's fair. <laughs> Yeah, request the new Godzilla movie next time. Yeah. Ooh, or King Kong with John C. Riley. Oh, you mean Kong Skull Island? Hell yeah. That movie fucking rules. It slaps. It's really great. Uh, so <laughs> Unlike this movie. There's a, 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 there's no one discernible plot for yeah, this movie. Yeah, there's like three or four plots going. The, we cracked it during the runtime. This is a picaresque tale <laughs> of a town. And Correct. all the, like, weirdos that orbit the, like, gravitational pull of this idea of wellness that has been crystallized in this town. Yeah. That doesn't make it good or interesting or comprehensible. New. No. Right. One of the one of the plots follows Matthew Horty Matthew Broderick, who envisions all the women naked and just commits adultery left and right all over town with a, a green skinned Laura Flynn Boyle with the the nurse 
who was played by the lady who was in My Boyfriend's Back, the movie where her boyfriend dies and comes back as a zombie. Nice. And, then, and then he eats the gym coach or whatever. Nice. And he eats him from the toes up. It's like a dream sequence. Why did we watch that movie? I don't know. I forgot it existed until I was looking at her <laughs> credits for this movie. Is that in the same cinematic universe as Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead? No, it probably has more to do with like the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie. No. Gotcha. It's that kind of tone. Ah, oh, solid Paul Rubens in that movie. Yep. Best absolutely. death scene ever. Ooh. Ah. ah. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. God, it's so good. What's, he refused to do it not sarcastically. And it's what's so great about it is like he dies, the movie continues credits play after the credits it cuts back to him <laughs> going <laughs> it's I didn't know there was an end credits <laughs> more death sequence until like a week ago nice. yes oh it's great it's, it's so awesome uh, other than that real bad movie oh yeah um, oh Ben Affleck's in it though in a perplexing cameo I mean, this is before he would have been Ben Affleck. Sure, but the camera just loves that body. It's real <laughs> oh uncomfortable. God, Jesus. Look, Road to Wellsville has ruined me. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, you... n- it's just, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie, is the first movie I've been able to conjure into my imagination since sure. finishing this. That's so fair. I just want to, like, dive into Just hold on to it as best you You just want to think about... I'm worried it's going to go away again. You just want to think about, like, Rucker Hauer playing his violin. Hell yeah. Uh, And 40-year-old Luke Perry going to prom. Yep. (laughs) Yikes. Uh, so, uh, so the we, other plot is Dana Carvey and John Cusack, and someone I feel like I should know. He's a total that guy. Yeah, but he's and, not and actually somebody I should I'm know. sure he is, I just don't know his name. He's a Wayne Knight type. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, he is very much Newman. And almost a Harvey Firestein kind of stand-in, too. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, he, uh, just without the voice. Uh, Michael Lerner. Yeah, yeah okay. Uh, he was in. Uh, he played Mayor Ebert in the 1998 Ooh, Godzilla nice. with Matthew Broderick. God, there we go. Uh, yeah, those guys are trying to make a competing serial brand yes. when follies ensue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and 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 uh, Michael Lerner, who plays Goodloe Bender, is like this uh, sweet talking capitalist con man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, it, he's very much. He is the music man of this, where he is just trying to get as much money from John Cusack's wealthy family as he can. Yes. To just expense his extravagant lifestyle of staying at fancy hotels and having lots of very expensive food. Yeah. Yeah. And then John Cusack is sort of like the uh, wet behind their ears, green, naive. He's got stars in his eyes. He's ready for the American dream. And then Dana Carvey just shows up in a bar one time and they're like, you're part of our story now. Yeah, he's the super filthy, I think, homeless... Adopted son of Anthony Hopkins is John Kellogg. Yeah. And the, three times throughout the movie this happens, we see him do something like wacky, and then it cuts to Anthony Hopkins, and he remembers this wacky thing or sees it, and then he has these incredibly dispiriting, sad flashbacks of how his son was a spiteful little prick yeah. and he was a shitty father. And the the actor that they got to play young Dana Carvey in this movie looks like the smallest kid from Malcolm in the Middle if he got Xeroxed wrong. Yeah, Dewey. 
Yeah. He looks There's like, a real Dewey vibe. You know what he, he looks like if somebody took a picture of, like a panoramic picture of Dewey, but he moved partway through yeah. it yeah. and just got distorted. It's weird. Which is not helped by the fact that he is shot almost exclusively on low angles. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's got a big, dumb, like, alfalfa pointy hair piece. Uh, and yeah, they there's they keep cutting to these flashbacks of his childhood and uh, Dr. Kellogg just like, I don't understand this weirdo kid. As if it is an answer to a question. Yeah. As yes. if it's like pieces of his or it, It's like in Captain Marvel where you keep getting little glimmers of her life as a pilot before it really like coalesces at the end of like, oh, that's what all that stuff yeah. was. Except like, Right from Jump Street, we fucking get it, and it just is more of it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That could be said about most of the film. True. If you are, if you have, like, a heart condition where you can't handle twists, watch this movie, because it just <laughs> isn't. Yeah, you'll it, be fine. It announces everything <laughs> as the movie goes. Every line somebody has in this movie is super expository. Nobody has. I feel a- very <laughs> sad because I have this chronic illness and no one will have sex with me. Well, I'm very attracted to you. Will you have sex with me? Yes. I'm Matthew Broderick. Uh, I have an erection. Right. <laughs> that is his superpower. He just oh, always. no. The only way we could get out of this scene is if somebody has sex. Did somebody mention erection? <laughs> I'm Matthew Broderick. I do think that if you surgically removed the score from uh, Ferris Bueller and just superimposed it on this movie, much better movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. They yeah. probably match up perfectly. Yeah, it's like Pink Floyd. And, uh, <laughs> Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. if you just play all of uh, uh, Yellow's debut album. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, this this movie, it, it's impossible to go scene by scene or anything because so little happens, but also so much happens. There's so many busy scenes of nothing. Yeah, like Matthew Broderick's character, he falls in and like he falls like kind of in love with... With his across-the-hall neighbor played by Laura Flynn Boyle. She's Ida Muntz. Uh, she has green sickness. Whatever the fuck that which is. Which means she's pale. Yeah. And it's Laura Flynn Boyle, right? It's like 1994. She is the secretary. She's going to be on the practice soon. She's a big star on the up-and-coming. Yeah. She played Wayne's ex-girlfriend in the first Wayne's World movie. True. And, you know, the whole movie is just like, isn't she gross? Yeah. Yeah, like, the movie seems to want me to think that Matthew Broderick is like, oh, what a good, pure-hearted soul that he's willing to have sex with Laura Flynn Boyle. Yeah. Despite being what married good, to another woman. What a good piece of charity he is doing. Yeah. Right. And his whole, like, Matthew Broderick's whole, he is ostensibly the star of the movie. Yeah. It mostly follows up through him, and his whole arc is just being subjected to weird steampunk torture <laughs> exercise machines. Yeah. Uh, there, and, like, I will say this about this movie. This movie costs $25 million to make. And I'm going to say at least $20 million of that money went to building the bizarre, like, uh, 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 contraptions that people use. There are, it's everything's got, like, gears and keys and, and, and like, paddles and yeah. towels. It's so weird. Hoses. Yeah, a lot of hoses, a lot of water. 
Um, and if this was just a movie, like I, we were saying before this, there's a great movie here if this was like The Music Man and John Kellogg was a con man and was just trying to keep up with everything yeah. and like scam people out of money and building just like wild, dumb inventions to like hurt people and then claim it was hell. Yeah. yeah That's the trouble with a capital T that rhymes with B and that means bowels. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. That's a movie that I want to see. But in this movie... It's all treated so, like, deadly serious, both, but with, like, a Charlie Chaplin score. Yeah. Yeah, it's that irritating trend that happened in the 90s and to stomach, some extent in the 2000s of if a movie is set in a time period that had movies, then the movie you're making has to somehow ape the style of the movies that were being made in the time that the movie takes place. So there's a lot of, like pseudo-keystone cops, like, silent acting kind of stuff going on. There are multiple yeah. chase scenes throughout this movie. Yeah, and they stupid Scooby-Doo chases. They fundamentally do not work, because clearly everyone's just sort of, like, half into it. You yeah, know? well, like, you also have, like, in the big final chase between Dana Carvey and Anthony Hopkins, Dana Carvey just sort of, like, brushes past him. Yeah. And Anthony Hopkins doesn't try to grab him. Every chase poorly scene... poorly choreographed. Yeah, every chase scene begins with somebody being confronted with something and they go <sighs> long pause <laughs> run and then run and they just always shove their way past like people yeah and run off into the night which is amazing because like if you are uh, like if you're Ray Fiennes in uh, Grand Budapest Hotel and there's that sequence where he's getting arrested and he just pause and then starts running away and it works so well. It's insanely funny. Right. I don't know what the X factor is to why it like fundamentally doesn't work here. You know, this movie, I, I think a, a Wes Anderson Road to Elva would be the way to go. Yeah. If, if, if it hadn't bit more color and a little bit more symmetry, everything is filmed in kind of this gray, like muddyish. Everything's brown and beige, yeah. and there's no color to the movie. Everything's just gross looking. If this movie had like weird Wes Anderson, like symmetrical pastel colors and yeah. shit. <laughs> It would make the weird, like, we're not sure if this is a comedy or a drama, just completely flip to comedy. Yeah. We would excuse its drollery. Yeah. Yeah, because a, uh, a lot of this movie is imprecise. A lot of it is just very, like, loose and very, like, oh, he did this thing on the set that we all thought was great, so we made him do it for 30 minutes, you know? Yeah, like the like, scene where they eat all the fake cornflakes. Yeah, Jeez, it yeah. just there's there's just no precision to this movie at all, and it seems like the kind of comedy they're attempting to do again is that very like Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin, very like precise physical comedy. So when you just sort of like, which then is it kind just of funny, utterly falls apart, especially yeah. in a movie where you have literally one physical comedian. In your film, and it's Dana Carvey, who is barely in it. Yeah. He says all of his lines in a Snake Plissken whisper yell. Yeah. yeah. And he, like, yes, he falls down a few times. He also sexually harasses Bridget Fonda in her milk bath. Yeah. In a very important scene that definitely sets up things that will be paid off later in the movie. No. No. Nothing. Like, nope. this movie is all fat. Yeah. Yeah. There's no muscle in this movie. No single scene seems to address the previous scene or set up a future scene. It just 
is. Yeah, it, I feel like the movie wants to be a slice of life hangout movie. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like an hour town with Battle Creek Sanitarium. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I wish it would have been like the lottery, where it seemed like a nice <laughs> small town, and then like every ten minutes, like Dr. Kellogg would be like, Would Mr. Johnson please come up here? And they just no. threw him an electric. No, please no. <laughs> please no, I have children. No. <laughs> Again, there's a better movie hidden in here somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I never thought I'd say this, but boy, I wish that we would have the the concise restraint of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Because <laughs> <laughs> that movie is like almost three goddamn hours long, and it feels like two and a half. But this movie is what, like an hour and change? No, it's, it's two, two hours. hours. Jesus Christ, five. it feels interminable. Yeah. I felt like I was watching all of a Ken Burns documentary. Yeah. Oh, no, Ken Burns documentaries are way more interesting. Are they? Even the one about the national parks. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this I movie, this movie I, it's so bizarre. Like, in my brain, this was a hilarious movie that I watched all the time. And I held, like, a weird soft spot for it. And now, after watching it, I literally feel as if... Years of my childhood have been eradicated. Oh, man. Now, I saw this movie as a kid, and I was like, that is a bizarre fucking movie. And that's what it's always been, having watched it again. How the fuck did that get made? I think because, again, I saw it, like, on the cusp of teenagehood, where I was just like, this obviously feels like it's made for an older audience. So the stuff that doesn't work for me must be because I'm, like, not ready for oh, it. You man. know what I mean? Yeah, they that's exactly that what it was. They all the time. They really did. They did it with fucking Iggy Pop and the Stooges. Yeah. Where it's like, you're just not ready for it. No, it's just loud and unpleasant. Uh, I felt that way about Gosford Park, too. Man, that oh, was a snoozer. Oh, that's so interminable. Oh, God, what a snoozer. I remember we rented that from a Blockbuster yeah. on the recommend on the four-star review Roger oh, yeah. Ebert gave it. Oh, yeah. And after it was done, my mom just turned to us and said, if that's what Roger Ebert thinks a dinner party is, I think I need to hit him in the face. <laughs> Here's the crazy thing about Gosford Park. Gosford Park is like a upstairs, downstairs, you know, hoity-toity, Englishy dinner party thing, and then there's a murder. What? Take out the murder? That's Downton Abbey right there. <laughs> yep. And that shit got eight seasons or whatever. Yeah, and a movie. People like pretty people in fancy clothes. That's true, but the pretty people in Gosford Park are ba- Bob Balaban. <laughs> Is it Jude Law in Gosford Park? Maybe. I haven't seen it since it came out yeah, on DVD. Agreed. Why agreed. would we? It's Gosford Park. Fair. Fact. Uh, so this. So are we after the fucking train? Are we done with the train yeah, sequence? Yeah, no. We're, yeah, we're they're around. We're, we decided we're we didn't have to do linear plot stories. Yeah. <laughs> um, Ma- like I guess Matthew Broderick, like, there's like, there's the scene where he's having dinner with fucking Baron Munchausen and mm-hmm. a Russian man, and the Russian man's name is Mister Unpronounceable because he speaks Russian and doesn't understand English, and yet he's able to communicate enough that he can come to the sanitarium, pay with money. Explain what's wrong with yeah, his negotiate body. Negotiate treatments and yeah. everything. Yeah. Um, in one of the uh, several deaths in this movie, Mr. Unpronounceable is electrocuted to death in the uh, sinusoidal tub, Whew. which is a tub where you sit in a bucket of water, then your feet are in two other buckets of water. You wear a, a sweet full-body bathing suit, singlet, and it they electrify the water yeah. for you. Yeah, like the Tingler. Like that movie. 
The Tingler? Yeah. It's a movie about like an invisible, like weirdo monster thing. And oh yeah, get... yeah, the William Castle, the yeah, chairs that exactly. buzzed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And anytime it was on screen, they would activate the electrical current into your butt. <laughs> you get the tingler. Yeah. Whoa. Well, Matthew Broderick gets the tingler because once again he has an erection in oh, the yeah. scene. Well, and he comes in and he's just like, oh boy, I don't know what I'm gonna do about all these erections. And they're like, Matthew Broderick. Who particularly is giving you these erections? Ah, well, this one woman has given me erections. This other woman has given me erections. And then this third woman has given me erections. I keep thinking about my wife and it's giving me erections. Boy, those sure are a lot of erections you've got, Matthew Broderick. Erections? Boy, let me tell you about erections. Yeah. I'm getting erections from this woman. Oh, jeez. <laughs> it's the whole movie. <laughs> and, and every time pronounceable, who do you get erections from? I'm being electrocuted! Oh no! Yep, and then he gets electrocuted. And death. then, like, I, I love, like, every time, like, someone mentions he gets erections, there's, like, the weird Battle Creek platitudes. He's like, an erection is just a flagpole in your grave. <laughs> and it's like, whoa, wait, what? Bury, we, bury me with my flagpole. <laughs> Uh, meanwhile, uh, there's like the weird making our new breakfast cereal story, and that story is just John Cusack going, I want to make breakfast cereal, and then Michael Lerner going, we're going to make breakfast cereal, give me more money. I want a factory. I have a factory. Where's the factory? Turns out I don't have a factory. <laughs> we need a chef to make cornflakes. I got a chef. He says he shoveled shit. Ah, he's our chef now. And then there's all... All cornflakes are bad. Yeah, there's a whole scene of them just trying, like... Trying it's a to solid <laughs> ten minutes yeah. of just... The chef sits down and is like, I've made 22 batches of cornflakes. Some with more sugar, some with less sugar. No, it's some always salt. it's all just salt. He goes a little salt here, a little less salt there. Yeah, and malt, malt. and malt, salt, malt. Baby. So they eat the first bowl, and it's they can't even swallow it. It's so bad. They dump it out for the pigs to eat, and they're like, "Well, twenty one more to go, I guess." And you're thinking like, "All right, the movie's gonna cut, and we'll come back to the last bowl." Yep. Nope. You get a good. Five or six other bowls of cereal. One of which is fucking green. green. Yeah. yeah. Which, had it just been, well, 21 more bowls to go, and then cut to the green bowl, and they're just like, I can't fucking take it. Like, <laughs> that's a joke. I yes. get it. But it's just, it's so much. And, and every time you see them dump their bowls back into the big center bowl, you see someone slop it down yeah. to the pigs. And, like, what it kills me about this scene is... The chef brings it, it's in a giant, like, metal basin, like a wash basin. Yeah. He throws it on the table. Everyone fills up the largest punch bowl they can of the <laughs> cereal, which looks like kettle-cooked potato chips. Then they pour just a jug of milk on their giant bowls. They eat it with flat wooden spoons, and they take one bite, spit it out, and dump it all out. Why wouldn't you just eat one flake to right. see what it tastes like? Right. I mean, I, no, I get it, though. There are certain cereals where, like, wet versus dry is a very different experience. But if it's not good dry, it can't be good wet. I, maybe, though. Maybe. No. I don't know. I, 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 my theory on cereal is that a, a cereal that is, that is good dry is good wet. But there are some cereals that are good dry and not good wet. Like, they're not mutually... I don't know. I mean, like, for me, like, like Frosted Flakes is a cereal that, like, dry, it's it's too clawingly sweet. It's too much. But wet is very good. See, I'll eat the shit out of dry Frosted Flakes. Well, I don't 
no one can help you, Marv. <laughs> I'm sorry. He must have a really good colon, though. Yeah, man. If this movie taught me anything, <laughs> you must have the biggest, healthiest shits of anyone around. Large, voluminous logs of feces. <laughs> That's like his whole thing. His whole thing is poops. Yeah. yeah. Big giant poops. And, like, there's so many shots of people getting enemas, talking about enemas, and, like, they were like, I get five enemas a day. It's like, wait, what? Five enemas a day? day? And you can't poop? Jeez. Yeah. This whole movie's bananas. Yeah. It's Uh, bananas and gross and off-putting. Yeah, it really is. Then, uh, uh, the whole thing with John Cusack, his story is basically, like, his aunt gave him money, and, oh, no, she's coming to visit to see the factory. We don't have a factory. And then, like, steal someone else's cornflakes. They they specifically steal steal Kellogg's cornflakes to put in the boxes they've made for their, what is it, Purpo. Purpo. Uh, so that basically uh, they can take it around and set, like this is a sample box and if right. you like it you know corner store merchant like how many boxes can we like Girl Scout cookies yeah how many boxes can we put you down for later uh, they do that they come back to the like hotel lobby and uh, what's his name the not John Cusack Lerner Michael Lerner uh, yeah his yeah name name, yeah uh, good good low good, good low Lerner. Lerner is uh, just, you know, he's smoking a cigar. He's like, ah, look at how many boxes we sold. This is going to be great. And John Cusack is just like, yeah, my aunt is coming. She wants to see the factory, the factory we don't have because it's just a farmhouse that we haven't been using for factory because it sucks. And, like, also, hey, we didn't think this through, but, like, all these people bought boxes of cereal that we cannot produce. Right. Yeah, and he's just like, it'll be fine. Which, like, I guess the whole plot thread is supposed to read as this, like, very good man getting drawn into increasingly desperate gambits to stay afloot financially. Except he's he's not a good man. Yeah. Yeah, he's not a good man ever in the course of the movie, and he is constantly, like scheming himself. Yeah. His schemes are just more like false advertisement. Like, oh, we'll hire the son of Kellogg to be a partner so that we can technically call this a Kellogg cereal. Right. So, like, he's never been a good or trustworthy guy. So, like, his whole fall from grace is just, like, dumb? Yeah, Yeah. you just don't care. You don't care that bad things happen to John Cusack. Exactly. I will say there is one scene where John Cusack is at the end of his rope. This is like the midpoint of the movie. Not even like the emotion that's supposed to carry you into Act 3. This is like a quarter into Act 2 where he's very desperate. He has absolutely no money. He's very worried about what's going on. So he goes to a bar. Matthew Broderick is at the end of his erection-filled rope <laughs> comes to the same bar and they drink together and that is the movie. Like, that sequence of the two of them just, like, drinking together, just eating commiserating. giant hunks of, like, rare burger and steak. Like, yeah. that absolutely feels like, oh, this is what the movie should be. They've got great chemistry. The directing really, like, crackles and is very good. Uh, and it's like, oh, this is clearly, again, this is the, like, rocket fuel that is going to, you know, Matthew Broderick is going to learn a lesson that he is going to take with him into Wellsville. John Cusack is going to learn a lesson that takes him into his plot. And we can finally get on with our fucking lives. But nope, there's still another half of the movie. 
where the same thing continues yeah. to happen. Yeah. Matthew Broderick's arc is, I don't want to come to the sanitarium. Hey, I'm enjoying my time at the sanitarium. Someone died. I'm getting drunk. They cut me open. <laughs> Everything's fine now. Yeah. My wife's getting finger banged. Oh no! And like it's weird. big stick hit German credits. Yeah. There's all this like wacky lunacy stuff, but then his wife has like a best friend character that she confides in, and she's just yeah. like Cameron Mannheim. Yeah, and one of the first thing is like, yeah, I was pregnant. I had a baby. The baby died almost immediately. My husband kept getting drunk, so I started poisoning him with what turned out to be opium, and it completely destroyed his stomach, so he can only eat dried toast because of me, because of how terrible he was as a drunk. Anyway! What a little story to throw in the middle of the movie, right? Because up until that point, up until that point, the movie is this very lighthearted, like, silly, dumb, frivolous movie, and it stops for five minutes for this woman to have a sheer emotional breakdown. Right. And be like, yeah, I I gave him opium, and now he can't eat anything. I I destroyed his life. It's all my fault. Yeah, but the resolution to this is go get banger banged by a German scientist. Here's what happened. There was a page on the set. Like like a like a like a gopher page, not like a script page. Yeah. But ironically enough, he was carrying script pages with him at the time of this immense incident. Uh, he had the script for Road to Wellsville. Another page on another lot had a script for the children's hour. <laughs> they bumped into each other and all the pages got mixed up. Oh no, oh, you no. got Road to Wellville in my children's hour. <laughs> you got children's hour in my Road to Wellville. Oh, together they taste stupid. Uh, yeah, so her story is her and Catherine Mannheim slowly begin, even though they're both huge proponents of the sand and everything going on there, they begin seeking out new and and further advances in medical technology. And that leads them to Dr. Badger, as played by Cole Meany. Yeah, buddy! Fucking Officer O'Brien. Chief O'Brien from DS9, baby. And like, he's a vegetarian and a nudist. In a wildly distracting wig. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like again, yeah. like he is, like he is a cartoon character just bombing into this movie. It's the same wig that Woody Harrelson wears as Carnage. As at Carnage. the end of Venom. Yeah. It's like this weird <laughs> floppy, <laughs> curly mess. Uh, and his whole thing is just like, uh, he's the first guy to show up and be like, "Fucking is good." Yeah, he's pro fucking anti meat. Yeah, he's yeah. been invited because Kellogg is a very uh, staunch vegetarian, and this other doctor. Uh, gives these speeches on the virtues of uh, vegetarianism, but he's also, like, also fur is murder. He is clearly, like, a radicalizing force. Yes, yeah, he's like, he's like a proto-Peta. Yeah. Uh, oh, fuck you, Peta. Peta sucks. Yeah, Yeah. they do. Um, so, like, like, the, the, and, like, Bridget Fonda's whole arc, like, it begins with, like, Karen Mannheim, and they're, like, taking a bicycle ride, and the first time, like, they start talking about sex, Cam Mannheim's like, I get fucking bicycle smile. And she's like, what's that? It's like, you ride a bicycle and it rubs up against your vagina. Which is another thing that this movie does continually of like, oh, well, we'll have these very high class characters and they'll, they'll say a euphemism to one another, like bicycle smile. And the other character will say like, oh, I'm very naive and don't know what that is. And you expect it to be like, 
oh, you know, wink. But instead they're like, no, it gives me a female orgasm. (laughs) (laughs) You see, the leather on the bicycle rubs up against my clitoris. Yep. And it's just like, movie, you can't just say it. Uh, and, and, like, that's obviously not to shame any female sexuality. Well, no. But it's just, like... It's just not a good joke. It's not a good joke, and it happens conti- of just, like, Oh, well, you know, my my sit-down waste removal isn't really working. Sit-down waste removal? Shit! My big fucking shit! <laughs> that's the whole movie. Yeah, there's a, there's a scene where Matthew Broderick, like, opens a door and gets hit in the chest with a bag of shit. And then this guy comes up to Kellogg and he's just like, Jesus, someone is, goes on it's so long. He goes, uh, mm, uh, Mr. Kellogg, sir, uh, um, uh, your son is uh, throwing um, uh, boxes of cereal. Oh, what kind of cereal? Uh, uh, well, it's uh, California rice. Well, Carolina rice. Yeah. Oh, well, Carolina rice. I don't understand. Well, used Carolina rice to be more specific. I don't understand. It's uh, uh, shit. He's throwing big bags of shit. Yeah. And this is the third time the movie has shown us either human or horse shit as like a like it's not like a big shot. As a projectile weapon. There's loads of shit in this movie. Like we are utterly desensitized to it so it is simply an exercise in impatience. It's not like a dramatic payoff. And yet this movie doesn't have the courage to show me one healthy log of shit. (laughs) Right? Right? Dr. Kellogg spent so much of this movie just being like my shits are a foot long and thicker than an anaconda. Yeah. Buddy. But the only shit we see are just bags of brown goo. Yeah. Well, not even because the big uh, one of the first things you see Dr. Kellogg do is he's got a symposium and he has, well, here I have a porterhouse steak from the alehouse down the road, and here's a bag of horse manure. Look under a microscope. There's more evil germs on the porter steak than the horse manure. And like, yeah, it just shows us a bag. Like, yeah, there. The yeah. only time we actually see shit is when it's being thrown by George in a very necessary and hilarious scene. <laughs> yeah, it, it's there so we can trigger him to have a flashback of George singing Christmas car- carols with his friends and then farting, and then his father losing his goddamn mind. <laughs> right, and then that's it. And then it just it it like Matthew Broderick getting hit by a bag of shit has no consequence. George throwing shit has no consequence, and it's telling us something we already know, which is they were a bad father and son for each other. (laughs) Just hit it again, though. Uh, Bridget Fonda eventually, through Dr. Badger and her friend Cameron Mannheim, uh, makes the acquaintance of Dr. Herr Spitzvogel, a German doctor who specializes in... Uh, womb manipulation and who we learned is both not Michael Palin or that guy from uh, Ghostbusters 2. That's that's correct. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it turns out he is just a guy. Yeah, yeah, just a German guy. He's just got a silly hair and a silly accent. And his whole gig is that people come to his office and he just finger bangs them. Yeah. Which is bizarre because we'll also find out in this movie sex toys are a thing that exist. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Like, very much so in this world. Yeah, this is post the invention of the vibrator. Yeah. yeah. In fact, Matthew Broderick will get a male vibrator belt. Yeah. Yes, Baron Munchausen gives it to him when he leaves the sand. Well, and it's very much like a German says, dick belt. Yeah, he says, oh, this is a uh, special garment. Wink, wink. I never used it, but you might need it in the twilight. It's for masturbating. It's for <laughs> manipulating your genitalia to the point of having an orgasm. 
Uh, and there's like uh, a whole scene where like he puts it on, and it's like it, it it goes on for so long. And here's the thing: like this movie, like it's it seems like all first draft. Correct. Right. He puts on this thing. He turns it to medium, and then just lays down and goes. I'm well, having some feelings. Yeah, he plugs it in. It's on like maximum, and he's like, "Oh no!" And then yeah, he turns it down, and he's just like, "Weird sex face, I guess." And then he lays down to have some more weird sex faces. And then a nurse comes in, uh, and he covers up while making weird sex faces. And the nurse is like, "Hey, how you doing?" Uh, I'm doing fine. Uh, nothing for me, thanks. All right, well, here's your warm milk. Oh, thank you very much. I guess I'll see you after your nap. Uh, yeah, I guess you will. All right, bye. Uh, bye. Weird sex faces. Uh, yeah. Uh, that makes loud explosion noise pull out of plug. Yeah. And, like, you don't get to see it explode. It should have just exploded on his pants. Yeah. 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 It's... Yeah. Yeah, what a movie. <laughs> it's barely a movie. Yeah. <laughs> the whole thing comes to head... When John Cusack gets uh, screwed out of all of his money yeah. by Perfo Man. Uh, uh, yeah, Perfo Man. He goes to the, the hotel that Perfo Man is staying at. Uh, and he's just like, I'm here to see my business partner. And it's like, oh, you're John Cusack, head of Perfo Kellogg's food company. Yes, sir, that's me. Well, your partner left. He told us you would settle his accounts. Here's his bill. Also, those two men are here to give you a lawsuit. Yep. B- bye. Yeah, and, and then, then, and then pause. Run. Yeah, cute yeah. chase. Then he goes to the sanitarium. He meets up with his aunt, who's like, I want to see the factory. And he's like, sure, after lunch. And then Dr. Kellogg is just like, a man here has uh, uh, bamboozled and stolen money from a woman. And that matters you, sir. You, sir. And then John Cusack gets up and he gives an, a mildly impassioned speech. Mildly. Uh, about how proofs are not important. Yeah. yeah, this is the big speech that should be like the takedown speech. Yeah. Right. Like, this should be the speech that, that really puts the absurdity to everything about the sanitarium. But it's lukewarm. Yeah. It's just like, you give us bad food and who cares yeah. about boobs? You make money and serve us crap and you have poorly played servants. And you're like, all right, thanks for the most useless criticisms you could possibly make about the early 20th <laughs> yeah. century wellness movement. And then pause, awesome. run away. Yeah. And then... And, yeah, right, pause, run away. Yeah, uh, Matthew Broderick comes across... Um, he, he tries to have an affair. Oh, God, this movie so successfully so has an affair with Laura Flynn Boyle. Yeah, with right. Green Lady. Yeah. Every single woman in this whole movie is just like, oh, Matthew Broderick, couldn't help but notice you have an erection. Oh, this erection? <laughs> I keep getting them. Oh, well, do you want to maybe use it for sex with me? Okay. But then he can't with the nurse, and he gets out and runs away and finds his wife getting finger banged. And then beats up the German man with a stick. With a stick, yeah. And then he runs after his wife, and they have like a short little conversation, and he's magically cured? Yeah, he says... Either from the... Well, beating up the German with a stick has made him feel better. (laughs) I disagree. I think he's a cuck. (laughs) <laughs> Somebody had to say it. That's I, possible. I think, Somebody I think had to say it. Him seeing his wife with another man, that just gets him off. That's him fine. Out. True. He also undergoes an actual surgical yeah, procedure. He did have a length of his intestines cut out. Uh, because he had like a kink in his intestines, supposedly. Probably supposedly. like an ulcer, I would imagine. Right, that's right, what right. Yeah, and so no, that's probably why he feels better. Sure. Yeah, he probably got something from all that fucking opium. Yeah, it is literally the one piece of medical thing in the movie that's like a legitimate like thing. procedure. Yeah. Um, but anyways, him and his wife make up. 
Dana Carvey shows up at the sanitarium. He says, hello, daddy. Give me a cuddle, daddy. That's what he said. That's his catchphrase in the yeah. movie. He goes, give me a cuddle, daddy. And, and then he goes, like, what do you want? And he's like, I hate you, and I'm going to burn down your sanitarium. And he's like, I'd like to see you try. And he says, oh, I'm not a comic book villain. You can't stop me. I did it 30 minutes ago. Yeah, he pulls an Ozymandias. Yeah, it blows it up. Yeah. They have a little cat and mouse chase. A uh, stupid cat and mouse yeah. chase. But into the uh, factory floor of the Kellogg's cereal, where uh, Kellogg is just yelling at his son, Oh, you've been miserable to me since the day I found You're you! You're a bad boy! Oh, yeah, until Dana Carvey gets knocked into what I think is supposed to be malt, but it looks like liquid latex. I think it's cornflake goo. Yeah. yeah. It's the goo that will eventually be flattened out and you crunched into flakes. flakes. Yeah. Like batter. But yeah, uh, Kellogg thinks that he's dead. He pulls him out and say something to me, boy. Say something, and he's just like, "I do want to cuddle, Daddy. Give yeah. us a cuddle, Daddy." Yeah. And he goes, "Oh, Georgie!" And he gives him like a big goo kiss on his forehead, and all's forgiven. Oh yeah, because John, I believe, as you mentioned, <laughs> yeah, the uh, Kellogg's vat seems to have some kind of a Lazarus pit property. Correct. Yeah. Where in the DC universe, Detective Comics. Uh, if a character dies and the writers want to bring them back for any kind of reason, they can find these mystical wellsprings called Lazarus Pits, where you just chuck them into the green goo, they come out of the green goo alive, but temporarily insane. Uh, and this seems to give Dana Carvey some kind of super sanity, a la Grant Morrison's The Joker. Yeah, yeah. well, it gives He's him, like... pacified. Yeah, it gives him, like, super relationship-mending powers. <laughs> yes. Um, they slowly walk out of the now inferno of the sanitarium. Yeah, we watch the sanitarium like, burn to the ground. You told me that this movie ends with a sanitarium burning down and exploding. And I'm like, boy, there's there's going to have to be a build-up to that, no. obviously. Because in movie parlance, an explosion at the end of your movie is clearly like a build-up of the emotions of the movie to a natural climax. But instead it's just... Well, I'm Dana Carvey. I'm here to deliver you your third act. Yeah. With fire! Yeah. Dana Carvey mercifully ends the movie. Everyone slowly walks away from the exploding building. And then it's just... It, it, then we get, like, this narration. It's Bridget Fonda, and she goes, The sanitarium burned for three nights and three days. It and only had enough cornflakes for one night, but from a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why... On this day every year is different from all other days. We light a sanitarium on fire. <laughs> uh, yeah, so no, they have their successful rich people life. And yeah. John Cusack invents Coca-Cola. Yeah, he invents Coca-Cola. And then what is legitimately the funniest joke in the movie? You see Anthony Hopkins at the end and he's like, Dr. Kellogg, continue. We built the sanitarium and reopened it. And he's on this giant diving board above this leg. And he goes, I'm a man of three score and ten years and I plan to live forever and he like dives off this high dive and halfway through the dive goes yep, yeah. and then it freeze frames <laughs> on his body and it's like he died of a heart attack and don't then just, you forget <laughs> about me <laughs> and then just like plops in the water yeah uh, and then literally credits begin playing credits begin playing to the Ha 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 ha! Yeah, yeah. If you didn't remember to force laugh, they're back here for you. 
it's it's clearly put uh, in for the studio screenings of all the executives to just oh uh ha 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 what a funny movie we have on our hands ha 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 so unique oh so that's yeah I bet a lot of the uh, the feedback after the studio screenings was looks like you guys had a lot of fun making that oh, movie. Man, right, right. <laughs> Never seen anything like that before. What a unique vision. What a hey, good for you, yeah. director of The Commitments <laughs> and Pink Floyd's The Wall. Nice. Alan Parker, Sir Alan Parker, a fucking knight. He was knighted because of this movie. I want you to know that. Sure. If, this movie... Yeah. What, Queen Elizabeth saw this movie and was like, Here, dear me, this virus have given so much oh, to the geez. people of the cinema. Come here. And then she hit him with that sword or whatever it is they do over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he was like, it. Yeah, thank you, Queen Mum. That's how we do things. I'm Alan Parker. That's how I talk. Now I'm going to go make me a new movie, The Life of David Gale. That's me. <laughs> Motorcycle noise, motorcycle noise, peel out. Another great film. (laughs) And that's going to do it for The Road to Wellville. And now it is time for Pull It Points. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Pull It Points! And our first bullet point is Body Count. Real quick before we get into bullet points, did we talk more about Road to Wellville last time or this time? Because <laughs> I feel like we pretty well covered it last time. Oh. This was highly unnecessary. Oh, man. There wasn't enough in this movie for us to tangent about anything. Yeah. Correct, because the movie just is tangent. Yeah. It's our kryptonite. It's a barely held together series of threads. Yeah. Yeah, the director peered into the future to see exactly us and was just like, I know what I'm going to (laughs) do. Yeah. Fuck those guys. Uh, So our first bullet point is body count. Body counts. Joe, what do you think the body count of Road to Wellville is? Weirdly enough, five. Patrick, what do you think the body count of Road to Wellville is? I thought it was four. <laughs> yeah, I'm going four. The answer was five. Yeah. <laughs> Who's the fifth person? You forgot about Kellogg, you idiot. No, no, I counted Kellogg. So there's his weird assistant who just croaks. Croaks. And then Kellogg kicks his body in front of all the yeah, people yeah. there and shames him for dying. And then the two bathtub guys. The two bathtub and guys. Oh, and Munts. I yeah. forgot about yeah. Munts. Ida Munts dies off camera. she dies off screen. Yeah. Right, right, right. right. And then Kellogg, yeah. Uh, I assume someone probably burns to death in the sanitarium. It didn't look like it. (laughs) They all very calmly walked to their nearest available exit. That's why they had all those drills. That's true. There is also one other kind of funny joke. During the fire, while everyone's leaving, the band is still, like, playing their instruments, like, on the Titanic. And at some point, they just, like, get up to leave, but keep Keep playing playing as they walk off. And I was like, all right, that's a pretty good joke. That was good. Look. The client paid for three hours. We're going to give them three hours. We don't want to void our contract. (laughs) Uh, So that's going to take us to our next bullet point. Best kill. (laughs) Woohoo! Best kill! Mark, best kill. When Mr. Unpronounceable has his genitals electrocuted to death by the sinusoidal bath, it gave me 
uh, a mild dose of joy, which is more than the rest of the movie did. <laughs> uh, plus, that kill is great because it kills two people at the yeah, same time. Not bad. The guy who looks like uh, Odo from Deep Space Nine, <laughs> yeah. who runs the crank, and Mr. Unpronounceable. And it cannot be stressed enough, he has his genitals electrocuted to death. Yeah. Patrick, best kill? Uh, I'm going to go with uh, assistant guy who drops dead taking notes and gets kicked and yelled at for being <laughs> unprofessional. Mostly because you get a lot of close-ups of his giant buddy nose. Yeah. Laying there. He looks like one of the Who's from uh, from Ron Howard's Whoville. <laughs> <laughs> John, best kill? My time! My yeah. precious, precious time! <laughs> Uh, uh, no, I gotta go Kellogg just because he makes, like, what should be the Wilhelm scream of the 21st century. Ah! <laughs> it's belly flopping. It's such a great sound he makes. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Hopkins is a good actor. <laughs> yeah. A lot of the actors in this are very good actors. Are That's the thing. This movie has a actors. crazy good cast. But yeah. the entire time I'm watching John Cusack in this movie, it's just like, oh, make different choices. Oh, yeah. All of what you're doing is wrong. It's amongst one of his least good performances. He cannot play period pieces. He is too modern of an actor to convincingly be out of another time. Yeah, with yeah. the exception of Eight Men Out, like, period pieces are not his thing. Yeah. Um... <laughs> he's so bad in the movie. Yeah, he's, he's rough. Because he's clearly, again, like he watched a bunch of like Nickelodeons from the turn of the century. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, this is how acting goes for these movies. Yeah. Well, and also like this is pre-Gross Point Blank and High Fidelity, so he is still like holding up Boombox John Cusack, right? Yeah, okay. He's still teen idol John Cusack. And he plays it as, like, goofy, like, naive, innocent, teen idol John Cusack. But with none of the kickboxing from Say Anything. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. If halfway through this movie he just started kickboxing Perfo Flakes all over the place, (laughs) how awesome would that have been? Like, we see him with a sandwich board. He's out on the streets selling this cereal. How great it would be with like that. He'd been like, it exonerates the bowels. Kick cereal. (laughs) Well, there was a brief moment where I was like, man, is this going to be like 2019 Joker or like uh, Falling Down, where we're just going to see these people push to their edge to a violent confrontation? At the <laughs> it end? was! Matthew Broderick hit that man with a stick! Yeah. <laughs> he sure did. I guess I wanted more? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, so that's going to take us to our next bullet point, because this is pre-Geneva Convention. True. This world still has two world wars to look forward to. Yeah. Uh, and, and a Korean conflict. Uh, and since, uh, also, there's not many weapons besides <laughs> stick. Oh, buddy, forced... buddy, my friend, there's stick, there's electric tub, there's fucking cornflakes. Electrified dick belt. We're forced to create a new <laughs> best cereal. Ooh. Best cereal. John, what's the best cereal? Now, here's here, uh, here's a distinction that we need to make right now. Are we saying what is the best cereal or what is our favorite cereal? The because best cereal. Those are two different things. Well, uh, what's the best cereal? Best. The best, I think the, the, the platonic ideal of best cereal is Honey Nut Cheerios, my friends. Mm. It's sweet enough to be like a sugary, sweet kind of like, you can use it as like a snack or a like after dinner dessert treat, 
but it's also like grainy enough to really feel like a breakfast cereal. You know, like it doesn't quite go too extreme in any particular direction. Sure. And is good enough to please just about anybody. It is the best cereal. I am in one million percent agreement with you on that. Yeah. Honey Nut Cheerios is the ultimate cereal. Because unlike regular Cheerios, which is oh, just unedible. salt yeah. rings. It yeah. is cardboard, my yeah. friend. It yeah. is terrible garbage. But Honey Nut Cheerios, just that little bit of glaze on there, that's oh, yeah. all you need. Oh, yeah. And it, it also, it has the perfect ratio of crunch to slush when it's been sitting yes. in the milk. Yes, true. It never gets too, it never gets like, again, like Frosted Flakes mushy, where by the time you're done with it, it's just this weird, like, Mud pile of corn. Yeah. Nah. Patrick, best cereal. I'm actually going to go Golden Grams. Wow. Nah. That's a, that's, I'm not going to lie. That's a dark horse cut for best cereal. It's a great cereal. It is a good cereal. It's a solid cereal for sure. I also like that the grams stay a little crunchier. The a grams longer. do get to stay very crunchy. Nah. Uh, again, what I like is it, it veers towards... There's, there's broadly... Like three forms of cereal. There is the cracker cereal, which is like your golden grams, your uh, cinnamon, cinnamon toast, toast crunches. crunches yeah. There's your loops, your, your, your Cheerios, yeah. your Cheerios. fruit loops. And then there's your puffs, which puffs can also be like Rice Krispies or stuff like that, you know? Right. Things where it's like almost like a popcorn kind of a cereal. I gotta say, the loops. Again, platonic ideal. It is the perfect cereal shape. So mm. I my I, I will say as as much as I agree that at Honey Nut Cheers is the best cereal, uh, sometimes a cinnamon life is my shit. I never life liked cereals? life. See, like like not plain life. life. Not plain life. It's gotta be cinnamon life. Yeah. Alright. Yeah. The flavored yeah. life cereals are very good. Yeah, I like yeah. the vanilla okay. life. Cereal. Vanilla life's not bad. Uh, also, John, there's actually a fourth category of cereal oh, that no. you forgot. Oh, cookies. No, no, no. Crispies. <laughs> uh, woven. <laughs> oh, I did forget the woven yeah, cereal. Yeah, Quaker Oat Squares are my favorite woven cereal. Yeah, Quaker Oat Squares are, are frosted mini wheats. Well, I was yeah. going to say, for the life of me, I have been trying. For the life of me? I, I cannot remember, remember what made us think that we were wise and we never compromised. Oh, no. for, for the life, life of me, I cannot believe we ever died. For these sins, we were merely freshmen. I have a yeah 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 yeah. Hey yeah. I have a hey yeah. Who the fuck was that? Uh, that wasn't. That was the verb. The verb pipe. Oh, the verb pipe. Yes, not the verb with all those awesome. They did the bittersweet. They did the bittersweet symphony, which was just a ripoff of a Rolling Stones song. It was a ripoff of a ripoff of a Rolling Stones song. Uh, but I do have a bet with myself. Yeah, yeah. Anytime I see full-size, unfrosted, shredded wheat, <laughs> I have to buy it. It has to be in the wild. I can't special order it, but I buy it. And let me tell you, it has been ten years since I have seen that in the wild. They're the That's... size of Pop-Tarts. Seriously. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Huge. You need a knife and fork to eat that cereal. The picture of them only has two in the bowl. <laughs> That's because there's only four in the box. <laughs> They're the size of Barillo pants. Right? I've had oh. smaller hot dogs. <laughs> uh, but my favorite cereal, Fruity Pebbles. 
Sure. Because I'm a monster. Yeah, you're a bad person. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's your problem. But I'm going to get to St. Peter, and he's going to be like, well, you gave so much charity. You were so, like, kind and generous with your time. But, uh, Fruity Pebbles, huh? Ooh, uh... I need to check with my manager on this one, yeah. but it does not look good. It's a venial sin? Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's true. This is what it is. So it's going to take us to our final bullet point of the evening. Is this an action movie? <laughs> <laughs> is this an action movie? John, uh. is the road to Wellville... An action movie. Here's the thing. There are several chase sequences sure. set to music. Uh-huh. Yes. There's a body count yep. of more than one person Correct. by a magnitude of five. Mm-hmm. That doesn't work if you do the math. Uh-huh. Uh, that would be what, like 50 people? Something like know. that. No. Math is for nerds. Agreed. Uh, and yeah, there's an explosion at the end. I gotta say, I think it might be an action movie. Right. Yeah, I'm right there with you. All of those reasons, plus all of my favorite 80s actors and lots of 80s boobs. That's true. There is a very, like, lethal weapon style. Like, you gotta get something in there for daddy. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. They're, that's very true. You get a stick fight? Cre- creepily put, but true. Uh, Mark, is this an action movie? Uh, yeah, I think I gotta say it. <laughs> There's multiple chase scenes. Uh, there's multiple speeding conveyances. There's a part where two, the fire truck and a, pull, a, a fire... A horse pull drawn fire engine. Yeah, and a horse drawn uh, uh, police, police wagon. wagon smash into each other. Yeah. So there's a car crash. There is... Uh, yeah, the stunt budget on this is not insignificant. No. Yeah. There's, again, an explosion. There's a stick fight. Uh, yeah, there's multiple deaths. It has all of the qualities of being an action movie. Yep. Official. Stand. <laughs> so that's going to do it for this episode of Body Counts and Beer. We're sorry. <laughs> if this is your first episode, oops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oops, all Wellvilles. <laughs> the worst cereal. What yeah. I'm very excited for is the underserved Road to Wellsville fandom <laughs> that is going to see a little Google News alert Someone's going to get a Google alert! <laughs> Podcast reviews. Well, I like podcasts, and I am a big fan of Road to Wellsville. Let's see what these chaps have to say about my favorite movie. Oh, no! <laughs> it's not an action movie! <laughs> How dare they? I will be firing off a strongly worded missive to you, sirs! Or it'll make them realize what a terrible movie this is, and they will just sullenly wade out into a supermarket without a mask. (laughs) (laughs) They're just gonna hurt others. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. The mask mask protects others. others. That's true. The mask doesn't stop you from getting coronavirus. It stops you from potentially spreading it. it. Which is why we can't get anyone to wear them. Right. And it's also something I cannot seem to explain to my father-in-law for the life of (laughs) He was like, oh, you should have two masks on if you're going to be on an airplane because it, like, they did the math and it, like, it, like, doubles your amount of protection. That's fundamentally not what the mask is for. (laughs) Yeah. That's not how this works. (sighs) 
<gasps> but it can go on. It can it can like stay in the air. No, it's in droplets. That's why you cough. You <laughs> cough to spread the droplets. The droplets land on a surface. You touch the surface. You touch your face. It gets through your pores. You got coronavirus. That's why you're not supposed to touch your face and why you're supposed to wash your hands. Yeah. You hear that? I will say on a podcast what I am too cowardly to say <laughs> on the family Zoom calls. Oh, man. <laughs> so that's going to do it for this episode of Body Counts of Beer. I'm Mark Rosenthal. I'm Patrick Bromley. <sighs> Still Jonathan Rudy Taylor. <laughs> and we'll see you next time. Fuck. <laughs> Body Counts and Beer is Patrick Rough Magic Bromley, John, Camilla, Rooney Taylor, and Mark It Could Happen to You Rosenthal. Please subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts from, and leave us a rating and a review. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at BodyCountCast, or email us at BodyCountsAndBeer at gmail.com.